Hi. Welcome to the CJB Sports Show podcast. Another quick one because, you know, Bombers Coaches Show takes up an hour on Monday. So the Monday podcasts are going to be a little shorter for, well, the next five months or so. So Lee Hextall stops by to break down what happened in Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Final and look ahead to Game 7. And also I'll break down the new changes to curling's residency rules. That's coming up on the podcast. We're getting a, a conclusion to a series here that we said on Friday hasn't been memorable, but we are going to get a Game 7. Before we preview that, let's look back at Game 6 last night. What was Boston able to do last night to prevent the Blues from lifting the cup on home ice? They were able to keep the puck out of that. I think that's probably the most uh, simple form of doing it. But really, you know, Christian, we talked about this prior to the weekend that Tuka Rask was going to have to come in and have his best game of the series. And the veteran goaltender did just that. And it was actually really nice to see because Tuka kind of started the series a little bit slow. That could have been really due to that huge 11-day layoff they had in between the Eastern Conference Final and the Cup Final beginning. Came in a little slow, but his numbers have been spectacular. 28 saves in the game six to keep their season alive. And he's got a 1.93 goals against average right now. He did everything he needed to do, especially on those power plays. I mean, let's look at this. The Blues went zero for four on the power play on a game six on home ice with a chance to win the Stanley Cup, and Boston held them at bay. So I think very simply put, that's what they did. They had their goaltender play their best game of this series, and then they were managed to capitalize when they got their own opportunities on the power play, and that's really the tale of the tape in that one. So they get the 5-on-3 goal, and then it's just one nothing for a long time. There's great tension in the building. Rask stands on his head. Charlie McAvoy may be making the play of the game, knocking a puck out of the air to save it. That would have tied the game at 1. <laughs> but then you get Braden Carlo scoring, Carson Kuhlman scoring, you get the depth scoring, and that's what you need. How about the move by Bruce Cassidy putting Kuhlman in the lineup and he gets the, the insurance goal at 3 nothing. Well, and we spoke about that second line, you know, playing with Jake DeBrusque and David Krejci and how that they were struggling. They hadn't had very many points within the Stanley Cup final. And you're absolutely right. Cassie comes in and puts Carson Kuhlman and gets his first ever playoff goal and really added that spark. And I think for the Bruins, that has been really a storyline, not just in the playoffs, but all season long, that next man up. And that really stems back to the fact that this is a team that has a great veteran presence. They have still five players who won the Cup back in 2011, who really set the tone. And they're all business all the time. And nothing seems to shake them. I mean, really, to go into that building last night in St. Louis and put on the performance that they did with the Cup on the line, you need experience to do that. And then you need those young players to follow the leadership group, which Coolman did and which some of the other young players did. And here you go. They're sending it back to a game seven, which will be the first game seven that the Bruins have ever hosted in their 95-year history, which is quite something. Hard to believe, really. But what we have here is a series where four of the six games have been won by the road team. The Blues have been an incredible road team. And we also saw the Bruins go into Toronto, win game six, and then take game seven on home ice. And Jordan Biddington's been so good after a loss this postseason. Is it tilted in Boston's favor, or do you view this as a complete toss-up? I think it's always a toss-up when you go into a Game 7 situation because it truly is just who comes to play on that day. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily – both these teams are incredible teams. We've seen it. The series has gone back and forth. But I do think it's a toss-up, but at the same time, Christian, to your point, I almost wonder if this 
actually plays into the Blues' favor. I mean, you mentioned their road record. They're nine and three on the road in this playoffs. They've outscored their opponent thirty-eight to twenty-nine. And then you look at Bingington following a loss. He's seven and two, and we saw him rebound from a bit of a stinker of a game earlier in this series. And you could tell last night that he was not happy with his performance. And I expect him to come in and play his best game. I expect the Blues to have their best game of the series. That's not to take away from the Bruins on home ice. It doesn't mean that they can't get it done. But for me right now, my gut is saying that I feel that this almost plays more in for the Blues than it does the Bruins, that the Blues will be on the road in this game seven, which is not usually the scenario that you want. But with this St. Louis team, I think they're built to get it done. Home teams 12-4 and four all time in game sevens in the Stanley Cup final, though the last two have lost, Vancouver in 2011 and Detroit in 2009. <laughs> I get the sense that two goals is going to win this game. Do you feel that way? I do. I really do. I think this is going to be a really, really tight game. I do think it'll end in regulation. I don't think we're looking for an overtime game that hasn't seemed to be the theme in this series. I, you know, I just, I, I think it's going to be a very tight game. I mean, I've just been watching the play of Ryan O'Reilly. He had another goal last night. We're, we're talking about three straight games of goals. He's got four in the last three games. There's just some players on the Blues that I think are really going to step up. And it's not, again, it's hard to bet against the Bruins, though, because they do have just such a strong leadership group, and they have those five players, and Krejci and Chara and Bergeron and Marchand and Rask, who were all there when they won in 2011. You mentioned that game seven, and that was them that won it on away ice when they won in Vancouver in 2011. So it's just, you really have me here. I don't know who's going to win this hockey game, because when it comes down to it, both these teams deserve to be here. Both these teams have beaten each other equally. And both these teams have had great games and not so great games. So it truly is, and this is the magic of Game 7, is who comes to play that night. And honestly, Christian, I really think a lot of it's going to stem from who plays smart hockey, who has the discipline effort. We saw the Blues and Robert Bertuzzo, et cetera, start to come undone a little bit last night. That cannot happen from the first whistle to the last if you want to win the Stanley Cup. So I really think discipline will be a major, major factor in this game. And let's hope the officials, when I say let them play, I don't mean ignore penalties, but just not insert themselves or miss calls the way that we've seen throughout these playoffs. So that's what led our conversation Friday was the officiating from Game 5. So Game 6 last night, I felt it was pretty well officiated. The crew that did that game last night, is going to be the crew for Game 7. How do you feel about how last night was officiated? I thought it was good. I saw a lot of talk about that on the old social media last night, and I can't really go against it. I thought it was a fairly clean game, and that's what I mean about not missing calls, but also not inserting yourself into the narrative, which means the game is going to be decided. I I thought it was a good game last night, and I have no problem with that crew going into a Game 7. And we have to remember as fans that, that's a big deal for these officials. Game seven is just like the players to, you know, to ref and officiate a game seven for the Stanley Cup. That's a big deal. So I expect the refs and the officials to have their best game as well. Or at least I have my fingers crossed about that. Is it bittersweet that there's one game left in the NHL season? Or are you kind of ready to get the offseason going here? I'm ready for the offseason more than any offseason I've ever been ready for. Because I really believe Christian starting here at home with the Jets. This is going to be one of the most active off-seasons we've ever seen. I also believe that this could be the off-season we might see an offer sheet. 
uh, you know, the Marner situation is getting really interesting in Toronto. It's going to be, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of activity, and I'm really excited to see what the Winnipeg Jets are going to manage to do here with the draft coming up and also with free agency, uh, because I think we're going to have a different looking hockey club. Also, do you, uh, would you feel bad for Boston if they maybe didn't win a championship for once? No, no one feels bad for Boston. And I say this as someone who actually knows a lot of people in the organizations. I'm not rooting against them in any way. I don't have, you know, a horse in this race. But they literally, what has it been, 160 days since they won their last championship or something? I mean, they've won the World Series this year and the Super Bowl. Can you imagine? Here we go. We've got another parade. I mean, it's, you know, but at the same time, you look at it and you really have to, as a fan of sport, just be in awe of what those organizations are able to do in that city. But I tell you, and I said this to people when I worked there, the fans there are so spoiled. They expect every year, if they don't win, then their team sucks. And I'm like, okay, that's actually not how it goes because teams like the Blues have never won a single Stanley Cup in 52 years. But my heart is with St. Louis. I have to say it. They, uh, to me, I'd like to see them get it. Um, I'm a big fan of it. They've got some local kids on the team in St. Louis, and I'd like to see them get it done. And I just feel that, you know, Boston's uh, Boston's had enough. They've won enough for now. Well, they have, and they've beaten St. Louis teams a number of times to do it. The Rams in the early <laughs> 2000s, the Cardinals in 04 and 2013. And... I mean, you look at the Celtics, they lose in round two, and they're looking like the mo- the most disappointing team in Boston. Is it just coincidence as someone that worked there? Is it just coincidence that all these teams are good all the time? I don't think it is, Christian. I really, you know, it's funny because I speak sometimes and I go and make speeches and I talk about lessons that I've learned from covering championship organizations and athletes at a very high level. And really the experience of that, so many of my stories, come from the Boston area. And it's not just the players that are playing now. It's the way that you see those players. I mean, when you look at the Red Sox, all those players, like look at the Ortiz situation right now. David Ortiz has been shot. We all have our thoughts and prayers going towards him. And you see players from 40 years ago that know him so well because that community in Boston stays together and that influence of the players and influence within their leaders and their organizations and their ownership groups, they've had... You know, Jeremy Jacobs has been the owner of the Bruins forever. The Red Sox have had the same ownership group forever. And they all learn from each other. And they all go to each other's games. And you'll see the coach of the Celtics, Brad Stevens, down at Patriots practice learning from Bill Belichick. It really is a community where excellence is expected. And I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's a culture. All right. So uh, before I let you go, let's just, it sounded like you're going to pick St. Louis Wednesday night. Can I get a solid (laughs) prediction out of you right here? I'm taking St. Louis, even though right now, as I say that, my gut says no, it'll probably be Boston. <laughs> but I'm going to say St. Louis, and I'm going to say 3-1, to one, and it'll be an empty netter to make it 3. And they'll come home, and they'll be blaring Gloria in the streets. And you'll have to hear it forever and ever and ever. But, you know, now that I've said that, the Bruins will probably go in and take it 6-1 to one or something like that. But I am, I'm going with the Blues. I think that it's, uh, I think the Blues are really going to bounce back from last game. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's my thought. What about you, Christian? <sighs> I still have a couple more days to figure it out. I'll say something oh! for Wednesday. Cop out, right? All right. Well, you do that. You do that. You just wait until you have all the information and make me come out so you can play it back and say I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll talk Friday and uh, break down what happened Wednesday night. Thanks, Leah. Sounds good. 
It's been a change long in the making. Curling Canada has been tinkering with things for a while now with their national championships. Residency rules have been a big conversation and what they've changed now is birthright status. So what's been announced today is you can represent the province or territory you were born in even after moving away. So prime example of this would be Jennifer Jones, who lives with Brent Lang in Ontario now. She is the one player before the rules changed from out of province. Well, now you can represent the province without living there anymore. And this will take effect at the Briar, Scotties, and all provincial territorial playdown events leading up to the National Men's and Women's Championships this fall. The move provides curlers, according to Curling Canada, with more freedom in their personal and professional lives while achieving their athletic goals and aligns curling with best practices of other national sport organizations. Ben Hebert today saying, I think it makes sense today in curling. We're going up against such strong competition at the world level. We need to make sure our best team is representing Canada. So this makes more sense because you have players that might start out in Ontario. They might move somewhere for a job, but now they don't have to sacrifice something like that to play for the curling team that they've always been on. So someone can make a great business decision for their career outside of curling without worrying about the kind of ill effects it could possibly have on the ice. This makes sense. Good on Curling Canada for doing this. There are some other things that need to be worked on with some other things that we don't have time to get into right now, but this just makes sense from a flexibility standpoint. And, you know, people spend a lot of time and money developing young athletes It'd be great if they could spend it in their own province or if they move to Alberta, they can still play for Manitoba. So that is good news today from Curling Canada. Tune into the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?